three men who love to talk about triathlon. The strangest man in triathlon, Steve Lizard McKenna. The angry gnome, Tim Reed, and host, Cole Danny. This is Triathlon Therapy. Can Grandpa Fredano come back and beat the Norwegian children before retirement? Steve, kick me off. Uh, can I just say something before, based <laughs> on your intro- introduction? Yes. <laughs> we've we've obviously tried to start this podcast about 40 minutes ago, and it didn't work. If we were all as, as organised as Danny, we would have been on. So that, I'm not playing the compliment game. I'll keep it brief. <laughs> but I will compliment both of you before we start, Reedy. Um, we tried to do a recording of a podcast, this exact podcast, uh, last week as well. And we decided we'd rather get it a bit better with the microphones and everything. Um, but I just want to say when I listened to it, um, your, the way you speak, um, and someone else was listening to it with me, um, is amazing. And also it's just a, a real, uh, I don't know, uh, what's it, what's the word, um, privilege to hear you speak so i'm stoked to be on the podcast because we just we learned so much being around you me and danny have always commented on it so i feel like danny and i our role on this podcast will be more to facilitate tim reed giving you know the more knowledgeable opinion and i might be the current pro kind of perspective in the next few years if we keep going and danny is the only reason this will happen um as I said, 40 minutes ago, we tried to do this and I was 10 minutes late and then I couldn't get anything working and I don't know how to work these things. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, little compliment for both of you. In short, to answer the first question, I think Fredino, if he doesn't get injured, being older, that's the only risk, I think. But he has enough miles in his legs similar to the Norwegians that I think he could easily do it. He has run a 106 when he won the 70.3 Worlds. I think Fredino, as Lionel said, uh, was 10 minutes ahead of everyone for a while and the Norwegians have simply caught up to him. So I kind of agree with that. There's more to it, but I just want to keep mine short because as I said, Reedy, I think your opinion means a little more than ours. There's more <laughs> education and practical experience behind it. So can you please answer that one? Before you do, Tim, I'm just, I'm very offended, Steve. Like <laughs> you talked a lot, you talked really up a lot there and I got, I got nothing, but cheers. Keep going, Reedy. No, I thought it was. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a good question. Um, obviously, Fredino's getting older and, but we haven't ever seen that really make him slower as he has gotten older. There's obviously a big gap now with, with um with now that Kona uh isn't happening whether that I'd, I'd say that would have been a huge motivation for him to come back I mean Willie being Nice there's a lot of questions there I personally feel that Fredino over the years has just shown that he can make a professional environment and has the motivation to set things up for himself that he can completely uh put himself on a, a different level of training a different level of recovery to other athletes not to mention just like the, the obvious uh, natural competitiveness that he that he has. I think that I think he could still dust the Norwegians, Be- and partly also because of um, the way the media works in in these World Championship races. He's going to be ahead of them out of the swim, and that means he's potentially at the front of the race. There are advantages in doing that, besides just being a legend. And um, 
And I think if he wanted to do it, he could do it. He could, he could, he could still beat those guys. Um, time is not on his side. And the other thing that's not on his side is the people around him will probably be starting to want him to retire. I've, I've, you know, I've talked about it before where it's not just, sometimes you've just got to stop because your family's had enough. Your family's had enough. It's time to pull back and focus on other things. In some ways, maybe COVID meant he could just, you know, um, balance out life a bit more and now get back to another year or two of full focus racing. But yeah, it gets hard. I think, I think that it's going to be one of those, uh, one of those things that if he really wants to do it, he'll be able to do it. It's just a matter of what's he got left to prove? Like what, you know, he's, he's done everything. He's been the goat for quite a while. No one's, uh, he's got nothing to prove to anybody. And so I think, uh, I think he can do it, but it's just a matter of whether he wants to. Do you think he could beat the Norwegians at a PTO event, one of these opens that they're running? I feel like over the Ironman distance, he's going to have a better chance. Uh, the thing with Frodo is he doesn't over-race. So he he picks his race as well. The PTO races, I think if he targets one, then yes, he can. But he's going to pick one or two races a year. He's like, I've got to win those races. And if they don't fit into that goal, he keeps a – broad enough perspective he zooms out he's he's not going to be there he's not or even if he's there it's not going to be that he's full focus so mm. yeah frodo all the way um norwegians i yeah will they even will they even race against each other is the big question because um sounds like the norwegians are going to be focusing on the olympics denny yeah i did hear an interview I think four or five days ago, I think it's when they were at that awards, um, receiving all the awards that they did. And Christian said something along the lines of trying to uh, race at the Paris Test Olympic event, which I think is a Thursday or a Friday, fly to Singapore to race that two, three days later in the PTO Asian Open, and then get on a plane, I would imagine, straight away to get to Finland for a week later to do the 70.3 world champs as a coach would you ever recommend anyone do that ready Jan will win now <laughs> <laughs> you, you got to remember that they're not just they're not flying in economy um yeah. you know like there's a big difference lying down in business class um just getting some nice sleep between between races and i think we have to keep in mind that they've really they come from a very high volume background they're they're able to probably um back up better than most because because they do have that um huge base behind them that huge uh history now of just pounding their bodies and i, I feel like a race won't affect them as much as it might affect uh, a low volume athlete so yeah i i don't i don't necessarily think that will that will hurt them i remember terenzo bazzoni still one of in my mind one of the greats in triathlon who you know if it wasn't for kona he probably would would be up there in the top five or six, maybe ten athletes, um, but he he would travel between races and get better. Uh, and but he also came from a base training of like insane amount of volume, and I think that was the reason he could pull it off because it's actually he's actually getting great recovery on a flight compared to training forty hours a week. Well, I'll be flying with the plebs. Yeah, in economy this year. So I'm going to stick with the Jan Fredino approach of just a few races. Um, so so obviously this this has been talked about heaps, but 
the rotating uh, world champs. We don't have to touch on it too long, but uh, you're of the opinion, Reedy, that it's a good thing um, if it's rotating. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky one because I've obviously argued a long time for a rotating world champs, mainly so that uh, from a professional perspective, so that uh, athletes of different sort of genetic um, advantages or different different strengths and weaknesses have a chance of winning the world champs. You know, it's no it's no secret that guys that are suited to the heat tend to do very well in Kona. Um, low sweat rate, low sodium losses, combined with being you know still amazingly um, up there in the in the world rankings, you, then you've got a good chance in Kona. Um, I like the idea. I love the idea of the UCI cycling where, oh, geez, this is a, a hilly, cold race. This will suit this person. Oh, it could be a, you know, it's a sprint finish or whatever yep. it is. I, I love the idea of races that, that are different. It keeps it interesting for me as a, as a fan. And... So I, I like that it's rotating. I think Nice, a lot of people who are new to the sport don't realise Nice has a huge history as one of the um, real biggest events that used to happen back in the day. Was It was Kona and then there was Nice. And I'm not actually, actually sure what the Nice distance was. I think it was a 30K run, maybe 120 ride, 3K oh. swim. Um, but it was as important and i could be corrected on this from from the guys from that era but it was as important as kona in terms of right. in terms of um people's race schedule and so there's a lot of history there and i think the the scenes from what i'm hearing the people in nice are really really keen for it to be there whereas oh, wow. um there's no doubt that the locals got a little bit burnt out by two days of racing last year and and the two days of racing in some ways was fantastic for especially for the women to have uh, a race where it's not affected by, you know, age group men constantly getting pissed off that they're getting passed by women and then trying to pass them and, you know, doing their doing what dudes do. Um, I like that, but it was obviously just logistically a nightmare for the locals. And, um, yeah, so it, it's a tough one. I think Ironman was put in a hard spot. I think there was a probably – I don't know, but I'm, I'm, um, I expect that there was a bit of backlash from two days and – I'm really excited that it's rotating. I think the only big downside is that it is a split male and female world champs. Um, there's a lot of downsides to that. Again, I don't I don't have any bright answers, so I'm not going to criticise it too much. I think it, they're in a tough spot, and uh, I'll just I'll just leave it there. I'll, I'll, overall, I'm happy that it's rotating. Bit of a bummer that it's a split split gender uh, world champs. Danny has an objective view, not a pro who suits heat or hills or cooler conditions what do you do you have an opinion like one sentence all right i like it i'd hate it uh, <laughs> no more than one reading, sentence because reading is about 10 sentences <laughs> it's like a half a paragraph <laughs> uh look to be honest i'm i'm just biased to whatever you know i follow your career closer than any other pro so i just like if they could make it you know victor harbour here in adelaide <laughs> <laughs> champs let's do that give steve a, give steve a chance yeah it's funny you say that though but I, like it, it it does give the home um town athletes so for a huge advantage so for whenever there's the world champs 70.3 world champs is in europe the top 10 is eight out of ten are from europe whenever when it was in malulaba i think there was six or seven us seven of us from uh australia and new zealand um you add in having to change time zones, go to a new environment, um, just 
flying in economy. <laughs> it's 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 like you only have to get knock you only have to knock off one or two percent and suddenly you've gone from being in a top five position to maybe fifteenth position and I think it's really nice to have things rotating to different continents different countries and uh, I hope I, I love that that did that for seventy point three world champs or I would never have had a chance if it stayed in Vegas I mean the only reason I got a fifth in Vegas was because it was this bizarre day where it rained and got cold for a little bit in the race. So I was able to work my way into the top five. But when if it had stayed in normal conditions, no, no, uh, no chance that it would have ever got close to a podium at world champs level. So you were fourth and fifth the years before. No, I was seventh and fifth. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> what about the year you you won it obviously that was uh in australia did you feel was there an extra level of relaxation or did you feel extra pressure because it was at home or well it was really it was i hadn't ever right like i my career was in terms of the racing side of things was pretty lonely because i did a lot of the travel by myself my wife had her own career and so it was just so nice to have my kids there and my parents were there like it was it was super special man but most importantly some of the big dogs weren't there <laughs> so... yeah, don't say that you talk yourself down too much you won the no, world no. champs also isn't kona on a similar like we're like 24 hours difference almost with kona so that that's that why aussies have done well in kona so if it doesn't rotate it might be a good thing for aussies i i do think um kona it's like three or four hours difference. So it, it doesn't tend to knock people around the same way. And it's what I did like about Kona was it was almost similar travel time for uh, US athletes as Australian athletes. It was the European athletes that really got screwed there. Um, but thankfully, they're professional enough to get out there three weeks before. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike us who just turn up three days out and wonder why we go bad. Yeah, and they complain <laughs> heaps. <laughs> I, I, heard, I do anyway. I don't know if others do. <laughs> I've heard people say, I've heard people say that if you can do well at Cairns, that can go a long way, you know, talking the environment and the conditions and stuff to doing okay, at, well, doing well at Kona. And you look at someone like Max who just destroys Cairns and then he's gone and gone and got a fourth place and, and really gave it a good crack recently in, in Kona. Yeah, absolutely. I, the first time I saw Maxi race in Cairns, I said to everyone who would listen, he's going to go top three in Kona. And he didn't. <laughs> you idiot, Matt. You made me look stupid. <laughs> so, really, is that? I know we weren't meant to get stuck on this, but is um, Max doing well? More the fact that he trains in the heat a lot, and he's he trained for the heat for that race, or do you think it's more genetic? And yes, he did the heat work for sure, but is he more predisposed to doing well there? Do you think? I think um, the first part is you've got to be super, super, super fit. Like there's no getting around that. Um, so like, for example, when you come from altitude and you've got that extra um, just aerobic range and or that, you know, you know, for, for me, I would come back from an altitude camp. I'd always have 20, 30 watts extra on the bike before I'd hit LT2 or, you know, there was noticeable changes. And that used to suddenly that would be the only times when I'd actually go all right in the heat. So I used to go to Asia after a big U.S., block it in boulder and i would pick up a win in the philippines and whenever i'd go to asia in march coming from australia without that altitude block i just could not get the same sort of performance out of myself so first part being really fit um the second part is 
it still comes down to sodium losses and sweat rate after about six. They, like there's only so much you can put in, and you, especially on the run, when I, I I do training camps in Kona, and I would drink as much as I could with someone riding alongside me, and at four minute k's, which is you know just sort of the standard, you know if you want to go top ten there, and I would still lose two two and a half liters an hour of sweat drinking as much as I could. So I'm still six kilos down by the end of a by the end of a marathon. Um, and your body, your blood's thick. You just slow down. It's just, you, or you go into a defense mechanism. I was very well heat acclimated. I never felt that the heat was a problem because I did all the work on that side of it. So there is a genetic part of it. Um, and these guys that are, you know, like Tim Burkle, you know, one of my favorite people, but God, it used to frustrate me that he would, he would lose literally less, uh, less than actually more than half my sweat loss. And just would be flying in those last hour and I'd be looking over my shoulder just waiting for him to come past me. <laughs> um, so there, there's, there's no one's denying there's a genetic com- component to it. But at, on top of that, it, it's not taking away from how fit these people have to be. Um, you know, I think especially a lot of the champions in Kona, it, the guys that are winning, they're that committed and that that uh, fit and ready to, ready to beat the best in the world that I don't think it would matter. Occasionally, I think there's a few athletes who get on the podium or have even one who I don't think would win if it was a cold race. Is there a solution to the longest running problem in triathlon? Drafting. Steve, I'll throw it to you first, given um, you've probably dealt with this uh, more recently than, than anyone else. Yeah, we were meant to be given a demonstration at uh the canadian open last year um and it's called race ranger dylan mcneese is works closely with the pto and he's i don't know if he's like the founder of race ranger with another guy uh but there's a few places to find who the person is that created it and then dylan's just had a lot to do with it i think but now as a result because he's new zealander they've started testing it in races recently um Taranga half or is that I don't know how to pronounce it but Braden Curry released a reel on Instagram and and he's interviewed by the Fitter Radio uh, guru and they talk about um, how it went that day and then I believe you Danny shared something that was on Global Triathlon Network and yeah so the the feedback on both those uh, videos was that um, you can actually go a lot closer with this it's like a sensor uh, at the front and the back of your bike and it it will flash red if you're within the 10 meter draft zone something like that so um the reason i'm saying something like that is because the demonstration we got at canadian at the canadian open didn't actually work there was something the batteries went in the thing or i don't know what happened but (laughs) either way we didn't get to see the demonstration we just saw the video and it was explained that it would be in the pto races this year i think in um 2023 so that'll be interesting i think it means that people actually get closer based on the feedback um so because are they getting closer because it's not accurately measuring the the 10 meters or are they getting closer the because way they we, said- we, we our perception was that we were doing 10 meters when it was actually we could be closer we could that's have been it. closer yeah. yeah that's it that's how gtn uh, summarized it that basically people now know exactly where that 10 meters is whereas you know they might have been a bit more conservative and stuck at 12 13 whatever it might be 
um, and you know, therefore you get a way better benefit, don't you? That's uh, it's a bit of a shame in a way. <laughs> let's let's yeah. go to twenty meters. I know. Well, that's the, well, the PTO race is at least that's twenty meters. So yeah. if you come within that, you'll see a red flash, and you're like, oh shit, got to get out of the draft zone. Um, so that's fine. Twenty meters is great, but it's probably going to feel more like what we did in Ironman, Reedy. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do they do Ironman from race to race determine what the meterage is? Like you guys all go to the race briefing where you obviously talk about this stuff, and can they just come up with 10, 15, 20, like as they please, or is is it set in stone across all across the world? Steve, I know nothing Steve. about it. That's definitely. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I no, it's always race, it's always ten. Set. No, 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 no. I mean, oh, I mean the rules, the rules um, oh, in Ironman events. No, I, I think they they pretty much stick to what they've stated they're going to do. Um, I have been in a race briefing before where it was an Ironman event and everyone signed a thing saying we wanted twenty meters, and we still couldn't get it across the line. Right. So. Um, <laughs> That's why you say, Reedy, it's all been done before. So stop getting angry, Steve. So I have, I've chilled out on this whole thing. But four meters no, is taking no, a piss. No, I'm, I'm all about getting angry. You, if you got to, we've got to keep making noise, and this is a really good solution. I've always said, um, my cheap, cheap ass solution for if if race event companies didn't want to put money into something like Race Ranger was we need to move away from a distance based draft zone. It needs to be a time-based zone. So um, let's say it's two to th- two or three seconds or four seconds between riders. So then if you're riding up a hill, the gaps can actually close up and there's no real aerodynamic advantage going up a steep hill. And then when you're going down a hill, that gap could spread out to 30 metres because three seconds could be 30 metres or 40 if you're going 60, 70, 80k an hour. Because we know a 10-metre gap, if you're going down a gradual ascent at 50, 60k an hour, sorry, gradual descent, 50, 60k an hour, is a huge advantage to the riders behind. They can pretty much stop spinning. The faster you go, the bigger the advantage, and I feel like the gap should open up more. And I know for some athletes that might be hard to, to count occasionally to three. <laughs> um, but, what are you talking about? <laughs> but it's not that hard. I've like I've played around with it just going hard in sessions. I'm just look at a point on the road. One, two, three, I'm good. You know, like it's and then um, you go from there. And the, so the way it would be then policed is you're using the timing chips that you've got on your legs. You have you cross a mat and then in 300 meters, 400 meters, that you cross another timing mat. If you are within two to two, three, two or three seconds, whatever the rule is, of the rider in front of you, but you haven't made a pass in that space, there's a really good chance <laughs> that you're drafting. And they could even confirm that later with perhaps more timing mats, that sort of thing. Uh, that was always my idea of how we needed to fix the problem. But now Race Ranger came along, which is way better. <laughs> well... If I could just learn how to count, then maybe that other one I would see as just as good, really. Um, but the problem is I'm focusing so hard on my race that there's no <laughs> chance that I'm distracting myself by counting to two. <laughs> Definitely. You, this is a silly question, but and to, to both of you, but obviously races are hectic, stressful, and you've got to be focused at all times. But there must be some weird thoughts that go through your head, like, you know 40 minutes left of the bike and you're kind of just like cruising along at a steady pace yeah i it i I don't know about you steve but sometimes i just get a song in my head 
And it's like, yeah. I think it's just like I'm quite responsive. This is when I used to be able to <laughs> race with caffeine. <laughs> now I'm now my heart's a bit dodgy, so I steer clear. But I used to just feel like when you're having a good day, I just get like some stupid song in my head and you just be wanting to yeah. yell it out as you go. And then when you're having a bad day, um, yeah, some strange thoughts go through your head. None of them, none of them very positive. <laughs> I feel like there's not much going on in my head if it's a hard day, but if it's a pretty, if you're fit enough and, and the the effort's not really a too big a stretch for you, then um, you can, yeah, you can think of all sorts of things. You can check out the scenery. You can um, tell pe- people to pull a fucking turn. <laughs> you can um, have a laugh with someone who is pulling a turn. And then on the run, you can really appreciate that skateboarder that goes past and says, block off the fucking roads for this shit. <laughs> and then he's, <laughs> he's having it sunny. Coast. He goes, fucking butt fuckers. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. And then I'm running with Maxie Newman and Nick Free. And they didn't really react. I kind of laughed and I giggled at it. And then about 10 minutes later, I was like, hey, Maxie. And he goes, yeah. I'm like, you're a butt fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Again, not much of a reaction. Um, but yeah, I think he did appreciate it. We talked about it afterwards. My uh, kids were so looking forward to listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. uh, it was what you knew this would happen if I was involved. You can d- ditch me after we're calling this segment shit or hit so where we do a deep dive into a recent study or research paper this week, Reedy's going to break down a carbohydrate loading study and determine whether it's a shit or a hit. So before you get stuck in, I'll just read a little part of the conclusion to get you going. And it basically says that these findings showed that combining physical inactivity with a high intake of carbohydrate enables trained athletes to attain maximal muscle glycogen contents within only 24 hours. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, I... I... We, as we, Steve mentioned, this is take two of this podcast. I've now forgotten most of the details of the study, <laughs> but the main, the main point was this is this one's been around for a long time. I think it came out in like early two thousands, and it was going around Twitter the other day. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good one to talk to, to the amateur athletes and pros out there who are still going through that thing where they feel like they need to smash carbohydrates for three or four days before an event just sitting around doing really nothing and then piling carbs into into your gut and i i went did this for probably the first couple of years of racing pro and i would be so lethargic for the first hour or two of a race um and by the time i'd start to feel good the race was up the road and i was gone and then experimented with um experimented with just well, really moving away from carbohydrate loading uh, completely, even though I realize now that I still was carbohydrate loading because my training was so low. Uh, I found that the less I did, the better I would race. And this study sort of touches on that. It looked at, I don't know, what was it comparing to? It was one day, 24 hours compared to three, three days. days. Mm. And it was only eight participants, probably male, as most of these studies are. And... Um, and they, they found that maximal muscle glycogen was the same after 24 hours as three days. So you could save yourself three days of sitting around feeling like shit and feeling very tired and and probably putting on weight right before the race um, 
by just by just by doing twenty four hours of of eat probably eating pretty normally because you inact you you so uh, your training load is so low compared to usual that the muscle glycogen stores just go up without having to think too much. So chill out, put the pasta bowl down, and really, um, I think you've got a good strategy for this, Steve. But um, you don't have to go that bananas. How do you go about your carbohydrate loading, Stephen? Um, well, I'm, I'm, my pre-race dinner has now become sacred. So <clears throat> cutting the fiber and processed carbs is very important to me. Uh, so that means uh, it has to be 24 hours in some period before that. Um, and because we stay so inactive in that, that last day before the race, I don't think it's an issue to do two days out. Um, lunchtime, I'll start the carb load or just the proportion of my meal has more carbs. I wouldn't call it a load because I won't eat more um than normal i'll just eat what i know the, the amount that i'll normally eat but there'll be more of a, of a proportion of carbs from that lunch to the next lunch um the day before the race so that's my 24-hour period i would choose to do it and then i'll go back to not a low carb diet but a specific like uh, chicken and maybe right white rice which is carby but it's not like a processed carb that's going to um potentially ruin the gut i'm just trying to give the gut way less to deal with in terms of processing fiber so chicken and rice with maybe a cheeky chicken broth on the side for the salt um that's my go-to yeah it's interesting that um you know for a lot of people grains whether they're glutinous or not do create a certain level of their, their whole purpose is to move through the gut so that um and for for most people, white rice is tolerated quite well, even for people that don't tolerate grains that well. So I think it's a really good, uh, easy way to carbohydrate load. Um, obviously, starchy vegetables are up there too. They do do have a lot more fiber, so that depends on the person and how they tolerate that. But I really like that strategy of keeping your last larger meal the lunchtime before and not going crazy the night before. Um, obviously, still eating till you're satisfied, but you don't really need to eat beyond uh, that point of um, what's the word satiety <laughs> that point where you say piggery yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so I think um, it's a good strategy Steve I would I back that a lot Dave you're particular with the type of white rice as well right <laughs> I, am I know actually, that that's a bit yeah. of a nerdy question but you are very particular do you do the low GI I do. I actually do higher GI rice at that point because it's like, you know, where we, we get up so early and we start races at 6 a.m. So if I'm having dinner, if it's as late as 8 p.m., which it's usually not, but that's that's still already within, I don't know how close that is. What is that to the race? It's already like 10 hours from the race maybe. So yeah, um, I go, I'm pretty sure, Danny, which it's short grain rice, isn't it? Um, yeah. That's basmati, higher GI. Right? Yeah, I reckon it's basmati. So um that's the one I'll go to because it's uh, a higher GI. So I'm still there's still carbs in that, but it's mostly about the chicken and the broth for me. I just yeah. I'd love to love to get a glucose monitor out and see where there is any difference between all <laughs> yeah. the all the rices. Uh, I've got a question for you though. Can I ask <laughs> yeah. about because you'll know more about this. You coach a lot of um, athletes, but also this study. Can, um, does anyone know? Was it? well-trained runners that it was all well-trained people wasn't it i guess it's it's i don't have it i like literally pulled it out a few weeks ago okay it was it was i think it just said trained endurance athletes so i'm not entirely sure okay yeah if it's if it's trained i guess 
here's my question to people who are well-trained versus people who are not well-trained in endurance generally, do they hold on to glycogen better or worse? Like, like so would it take longer for this if it was a non-well-trained athlete? Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't call it an athlete in that case, but <laughs> like, we might just... hold on to it in our muscle, the glycogen in our muscles, uh, we might need less time and then we would deal with it. We wouldn't get rid of it quicker. I don't know. Is that, is that a thing? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think uh, athletes who are well-trained, their bodies become extremely efficient at storing glycogen. So they've shown even with very low carbohydrate athletes who are doing high volume, they become obviously really good at gluconeogenesis, turning protein into glycogen. They find any sort of glycogen they can get, get just gets gets held into the muscles really well. So the body adapts. It, it's a survival mechanism for the next day's training. Um, so, yeah, you, you see it even when athletes finish – finish their careers or take a break after a big race, they just puff out and get really fat really quick. And I think that's probably a large part of it because maybe part of it's their their appetite hasn't yet adjusted to the lower um, training demands. But the other part of it is I think we're just really good at the body's sort of always uh, storing and, and, and taking advantage of anything that you put in there. So it's, it's ready for the next time you're going to absolutely pillage it of any muscle glycogen. <laughs> Well, I think um, I don't care that the sample size is small because I know from my experience, muscle biopsies take a lot of money and time. Um, they're also very painful. I was involved in Sam DeBeck's heat study, which we should probably do at some point. And it's obviously going to be a hit because we know it it was a hit. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's an athlete. But yeah, muscle biopsies are pretty intense so and intrusive and... Um, yeah, so I think the sample size being very small doesn't matter. It's pretty hard to get people to do muscle biopsies. Yeah, you you put a what is it? You cut the athlete, you put a like a cylinder sort of thing in, and then you get a gigantic needle, and you just this thing just goes, and then you see this little bit of bit of red meat come out and, oh. and suck it into a refrigerator. And I remember racing Sunny Coast a week after I did it, and it's just like you've got a corky for about a week and a half, um, because they do they take. I don't know, they take like five bits of muscles um, uh, just in, in each. Um, and at, at, that, at that point, that was probably 50% of your quad quad muscles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I've heard it's pretty painful. I think even before you did that, I was like, maybe maybe don't do this. But uh, I, think I don't you think you got, got 50 cow. bucks or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that point, I would just... It wasn't my livelihood, was it, racing at that point? So whatever. But, um, Danny, is it a, a hit or is it shit to you? I think it's a hit. It's sounding like from the two of you that it's definitely a hit. It's a hit. It works in practice. Matches up. Let's let's call it a hit. Who is the most entertaining triathlete of all time? Oh, of all time is a huge question. <laughs> um, I think we're out of this one, Danny. We've only entered the sport in this era. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so hard because what you've got now is athletes, you know, who do such a great way of entertaining the general public by almost bringing them into their home. You know, you've got the YouTube channels 
you got those new YouTube channels. <laughs> you got, like Lionel's just like so open and honest and it's fascinating to watch. And so it's really hard to compare to the to the older guys who, you know, barely were in the Twitter era or even before that where it was, you know, they just entertained through amazing race comebacks and performances and maybe media interviews. It's a tough question. I'm going to leave it to you first, Steve, while I think this one through. <laughs> well, I'm going to go present day because – um, you know, you're as far back as I went with um with my research. I, was, I entered the sport and I'm like, some guy in budgie smugglers just won the world chance. What's going on with the world? <laughs> um, and I just thought you were a legend. You had like a mo. Uh, I think you had a mo at the time and budgie smugglers. So that was great. Um, it looked like an all round Aussie won the world champs. Just you know, just rocked up and did it. Um, <laughs> didn't play a year on a whim. It and wasn't serious about it. <laughs> uh, definitely. But should. um, yeah. So yeah, Probably. I was a big fan. But Danny, um, uh, like me and Danny probably have a similar op- opinion on this. Danny watches a lot of the pro, um, sport, and I think Reedy and I watch a little bit, but. Danny's a big fan of the sport, so his I think Danny's opinion might be best here, but I would say I think in the present day, Lionel's hard to go past, Sam Long's great as well, and Sam Laidlow, I hope the drama at that PTO Collins Cup where he called out, I don't know, what did he do? He did piss Sam Long off a fair bit in an interview, and the only the controversy, I hate that I was attracted to the controversy, but I was. The only reason I watched the Collins Cup, really, was because <laughs> um, because Sam Long was so pissed off at Laidlow, and I thought this battle will be real heated now. Um, nothing really happened on race day. They'd had a lot of respect for each other, unfortunately. But I just think, think hopefully Sam Laidlow can continue to talk crap and um, that's what I think is – I think it's pretty interesting if we can go more down the um, talking rubbish and whatever. But, yeah, I guess you can be over-familiar in this sport because if you've never met the guy and you're talking shit, then, then yeah, it's uh, – it's it, people can get touchy in that way. But, yeah, I think Lionel just provides a lot of content um, and he he's he's pretty honest and all that. But, yeah, I think the, the drama could come from people like uh, Laid Local and – um, saying that he's a better athlete than Sam Long or whatever. I don't know. But, yeah, those three, I can't really decide. Danny might be better at deciding. It, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, it really depends on what you're after. If you if you want, you know, arguably funny, controversial, uh, you know, people versing each other, I think those people you've just said for sure. But another one is the YouTube channel of um, Eric Langstrom and uh, Paula Finlay they're on the opposite spectrum where you know you got this really two elite athletes in the sport um making really high quality almost like weekly vlogs blogs of of their life and it really uh, you know i think eric does most of the heavy lifting from the um production point of view but yeah yeah certainly they're certainly not trying to rustle any feathers with what they put out but it's a different kind of um entertain they live a cool life don't they They're, they've mm. got a really cool camping constantly on a new adventure sort of living out of a van or something while training heaps i love it um but yeah unfortunately <clears throat> i'm attracted to the drama <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm gonna play devil's avocado here and say <laughs> forgive you both for being young and ignorant um <laughs> But unfortunately, you you're seeing you are taking a glimpse of triathlon of like a brief five year period. <laughs> yeah. I've been around a bit longer. Um, there's a, 
a polarizing character. Chris McCormack, people love him or hate him, but he was so entertaining to follow as a young athlete coming up. In fact, he was the first real triathlon I'd I'd watched uh, at Foster one year when he won the won the race. And um, regardless of whatever whatever your opinion of whether you're a lover or a hater, he in the era even from transitioning from no social media to a bit of social media, which was literally just Twitter probably by the time his career sort of uh, finished off, uh, he he was super entertaining. Brash would say things, would have, you know, real breakdowns in Kona, uh, often would say things and then it might not come, th- uh, come through straight away, but then he would end up win- winning and proving a lot of people wrong. It was just a, um, you know, he, he, he loves a yarn, Adds a bit of GST to some of his stories, from what I hear. <laughs> but like, always super charismatic, very entertaining, and uh, I, I think, yeah, in my mind, for from for my generation and probably even even younger, I think Chris McCormack was fascinating to follow as a as a young fan, and even even while I was still racing, it was still you know it was still pretty cool to watch what was going on the battle between him and crowey and everyone taking sides without really knowing either of them at all (laughs) it was just it was cool it was um you know before for someone to get that level of reach and that level of uh people to to get people super opinionated about them without the uh, reach of social media is a pretty impressive and hard thing to do in that era and so yeah full credit chris you take my trophy for most entertaining athlete because I know you're going to be listening. You just <laughs> probably a huge fan of the show already. We're really fortunate to have for this episode our first sponsor, Prepped Hydration. It's a revolutionary new product that it's a uh, – explain it, Steve. Tell me how it works. You want me to do that? <laughs> um, I could do it. It's got a resistant starch in it, sits in the large intestine, and it essentially, in simple terms, uh, enables you to absorb more of the water that you take in. So before a race or before a a big training day, it's pretty ideal to be absorbing more of the water you're taking in, similar to what sodium does, but on a much bigger level. And if you ever have an upset stomach from taking prep the first time, that's actually a good process. Um, The good bacteria in your gut is feeding on that starch. So if you're getting a few extra pop-offs in in your day, then just know that once you get used to this much starch, (laughs) it will... It, that will improve, and it's actually a good thing that's going on. Um, so um, stick it out and absolutely keep having prepped. That's right. You do absorb most of your fluid through the small intestine typically, and this just creates a second way of absorbing fluid. And we all know if you can start get on the start line with that little bit more, uh, with a greater hydration level and get to the final hours of the race with less dehydration, it is very much performance enhancing. So thanks to Prep, they're big supporters of Steve and I and now of the show.
<laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. But first, I'm going to, my partner in RPG coaching, Clint Rowlings, very caring, supportive guy. I'm going to prank call him, and uh, people might not know this, but Viagra is actually banned to have in your system on race day because it's a vasodilator. I'm going to call him up, tell him that I haven't raced in, since Ironman 70.3 Sunshine Coast because um, I got busted for racing with Viagra in my system. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Timbo Reid. Clintos, how are you? Good, mate. How are you? Good, good. Um, dude, I've got some pretty weird and bad news and probably will not go down well with the coaching business. You know um, how I last raced in Sunshine Coast? Yep. Yeah, I um, I was having a, I was having a few small issues in the bedroom with Mon. Yep. Yep. And so, like, I'd taken Viagra two nights before the race. Yep. And then got tested after the race, and they're now giving me a six-month um, ban because I had Viagra in my system. Mm. Shit. I don't know what to do. Like, I, I can't. I mean, I've just got to own it, right? Uh, I mean, obviously, I wasn't trying to cheat. Uh, and they're going to publish. When's it go public? I can't do this. I can't. Sorry, I, can't. I, I couldn't do it to you. You're on, you're on the Triathlon Therapy podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Clint's concern is amazing. I love that. bad for you i was like oh man i was waiting for you just to be like i'm just trying to work out i was just trying to work out how to cut ties with you mate <laughs> <laughs> i was waiting for you to go mate i've been needing viagra for ages <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh here's me feeling terrible for you <laughs> uh yeah, well man. thanks clint thanks for not getting angry straight away too he <laughs> <laughs> was just being calculated in his anger. All right, so that was fun. Uh, we'll be back in probably two weeks and uh, with some hot new topics. Hopefully something interesting has happened in triathlon or... It'll be a very short episode. Uh, thanks for thanks for listening, and um, we can only promise we'll try and get better from here. Much love. <laughs>